This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I'm your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I'll stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe through this beauty we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions. I would like some help. Let us begin. Last time in Henry V, excuse me, Henry IV, not the fifth, Henry IV, part one, we were uh, reaching close to the Battle of Shrewsbury. Henry, King Henry has sent out a messenger to the rebels to see what their uh, uh, causes are, and uh, if he, at least on the surface, if he can redress them. Um, Sir Walter Blunt was the, the messenger for the king, but Hotspur just replied that uh, they were the ones who made Henry king, and he forgot it uh, very quickly. Uh, blunt, tut, I came not to hear this. I don't know if he starts it with tut. We still have a vestigial use of that where we say tut, tut, or something like that. In other words, it's sort of uh, um, not to be heard, Hotspur. Then to the point. Okay, so point also can be a sword point there as well as the point of what they're talking about. In short time after, he deposed the king. Soon after that, deprived him of his life. And in the neck of that, tasked the whole state. Okay, neck, of course, uh, uh, he didn't have the king's he- head cut off. Um, well, it depends on uh, how you think that Richard might have died. Um, but tasked the whole state. In other words, the whole all of britain was involved in the in the thievery the illegal illegal act to make that worse suffered his kinsman march who is if every owner were well placed indeed his king to be engaged in wales there without ransom to lie forfeited okay so uh, he's talking about mortimer there and um and hotspur is saying that um he should be he should have been king instead um, and he said Henry sent him off to Wales and he's complaining again about uh, the lack of ransom for Mortimer there without ransom to lie forfeited degrace me in my happy victories sought to entrap me by intelligence. OK, that's interesting. Traps him by intelligence. So uh, maybe Hotspur is not that smart. Raided mine uncle from the council board and raged to miss my dismiss my father from the court, broke oath on oath, committed wrong on wrong. And in conclusion, drove us to seek out this head of safety, and withal to pry into his title, which we find to indirect for long continuance. Blunt, shall I return this answer to the king? Hotspur, not so, Sir Walter. We'll withdraw a while. Go to the king, and let there be in pawn for some surety for a safe return again. And in the morning early shall mine uncle bring him to our purposes. And so farewell. And so Hotspur, in spite of what he said earlier about wanting to fight right away, uh, looks like he's trying to deal for some time there, maybe in hopes that the other forces will come up. Blunt, I would you accept, I would you would accept of grace and love, Hotspur, and maybe so we shall. Blunt, pray God you do. They exit. Scene four. 
Enter Archbishop of York and Sir Michael, Archbishop handing papers. Hi, good Sir Michael, bear this sealed brief with winged haste to the Lord Marshal. This to my cousin Scroop and all the rest to whom they are directed. If you knew how much they do import, you would make haste. Sir Michael, my good Lord, I guess they're tenor, Archbishop. Like enough you do. Tomorrow, good Sir Michael, is a day wherein the fortune of 10,000 men must bid the torch, must bide the torch. For, sir, at Shrewsbury, as I am truly given to understand, the king with mighty and quick-raised power meets with Lord Harry, and I fear, Sir Michael, what with the sickness of Northumberland, whose power was in the first proportion, and what with Owen Glendower's absence thence, who with them was rated a sinew too, and come not in it, or rule by prophecies, I fear the power of Percy is too weak to wage an instant trial with the king. Okay, um, so... Uh, the elder Percy uh, Hotspur's father is sick and won't come, and uh, in Owen Glendower, apparently uh, the omens are not good for him. Uh, that's the uh, or ruled by prophecies, um, and Hotspur is, himself seems to think that maybe he's too weak. Sir Michael, why could my lord, you need not fear, there is Douglas and Lord Mortimer. Archbishop, no, Mortimer is not there, Sir Michael, but there is Mordrake, Vernon, Lord Harry Purser. And there is my Lord of Worcester, and a head of gallant warriors, noble gentlemen, Archbishop. And so there is, but yet the king hath drawn the special head of all the land together, the Prince of Wales, Lord John of Lancaster, the noble Westmoreland, and warlike Blunk, and many other co-rivals, co co-rivals, and dear men of estimation and command in arms. Sir Michael, doubt not, my Lord, they shall be well opposed. Archbishop, I hope no less, yet needful tis to fear, and to prevent the worst, Sir Michael Speed. For if Lord Percy thrive not, ere the king dismisses power, he means to visit us. For he hath heard of our confederacy, and tis but wisdom to make strong against him. Therefore, make haste, I must go right again to other friends. And so farewell, Sir Michael. They exit. And thus we come to the last act of the play, Act 5, Scene 1. Enter the king, Prince of Wales, Lord John of Lancaster, Sir Walter Blunt, and Falstaff, king. How bloodily the sun begins to peer over yon bulky hill. The day looks pale at his distemper. Prince, the southern wind doth play the trumpet to his purposes, and by his howl whistling in the leaves foretells a tempest and a blustering day. Okay, notice it's a southern wind. The, uh, uh, the rebels are from the north and the west. And so this is a rising sun, a red sun with a southern wind, king. Then with the losers, let it sympathize, for nothing can seem foul to those that win. That's a nice line. Nothing can seem foul to those that win. The trumpet sounds. Enter Worcester and Vernon. How now, my lord of Worcester, tis not well that you and I should meet upon such terms as now we meet. You have deceived our trust and made us doff our easy robes of peace to crush our old limbs in ungentle steel. This is not well, my lord, this is not well. What say you to it? Will you will you again unknit this churlish knot of all abhorred war and move in that obedient orb again, for you did give a fair natural light and be no more an exhaled meteor, a prodigy of fear and a portent of brochet of mischief to, these, to the unborn times. Okay, um, so the king seems to be comparing there um, Worcester to uh, some sort of a heavenly body, um, obedient orb, maybe like the moon or something like that, gave a fair and natural light. It wouldn't be the sun, um, but he says he should be like in, a, in, a, in his, in his uh, 
obedient uh, orbit where he should be or he's expected to be and not to be a meteor. Um, remember that uh, um, that's the sort of thing, in fact, that Henry himself is compared to a meteor or a comet. Um, and as we know, then, as we talked about before, things like meteors and comets were seen as, as Henry says here, a prodigy of fear and a portent of broached mischief to the unborn times. Lister, hear me, my liege. For my own part, I could be well content to entertain the lag end of my life with quiet hours, for I protest I have not sought the day of this dislike. So uh, they both apparently are older men, and uh, Worcester's saying that uh, he'd be fine to the lag end of his life, his retired years, to be filled with quiet hours. Uh, again, an image of time. King, you have not sought it. How comes it then? Falstaff, rebellion lay in his way, and he found it. Prince, peace. Peace. Uh, he's speaking to Falstaff. Worcester. It pleased your majesty to turn your looks of favor from myself and all our house, and yet I must remember you, my lord. We were the first and dearest of your friends. For you, my staff of office, did I break in Richard's time, and posted day and night to meet you on the way and kiss your hand. When yet you were in place, and I account, and in account, nothing so strong as fortunate as I. It was myself, my brother, and his son. They brought you home and boldly did out dare the dangers of our of the time. You swore to us, and you did swear that, o that oath at Doncaster, that you did nothing purpose against the state, no claim no further than your new fallen right, the seat of gone, dukedom of Lancaster. To this we swore our aid. But in short space it rained down fortune showering on your head, and such a flood of greatness fell on you. What with our help, what with the absent king, what with the injuries of a wanton time, the seeming sufferances that you had borne and all the contrarious winds that held the king so long in his unlucky Irish wars that all England did repute him dead. And from this swarm of fair advantages, you took occasion to be quickly wooed, to grip the general's sway into your hand, forgot the oath you swore to us at Doncaster. And being fed by us, you used us so as the ungentle gull, the cuckoo's bird, used the sparrow that oppress our nest grew by our feeding to go so great a bulk that even our love durst not come near your sight for fear of swallowing. But with the nimble wing, we were enforced for safety's sake to fly out of your sight and raise this present head, whereby we stand opposed by such means as you yourself have forged against yourself by unkind usage, dangerous countenance, and violation of all faith and troth sworn to us in your younger enterprise. Okay, that was a very long sentence. Uh, there were a couple of things that were... Uh, interesting in it. Let me scroll back up here. Um, okay, so he reminds him again, which you've heard many times, that Henry came uh, asking for only his dukedom, and yet he, he swole up. Um, let's see, where is that? Yeah, in short space, it rained down fortune. So an image, a natural image there of rain uh, coming down, not like the sun again, uh, but it's like rain. And um, again, talks about what was going on with uh, uh, with with Richard that he was absent and the injuries of a wanton time. Again, an image there of the time. Um, contrarious winds that held the king. And so he, you know, Richard couldn't get back from Ireland in time. And it was unlucky. Uh, Irish wars in England thought him dead. Um, okay, so, and then there's the image of the birds there with the, the cuckoo and the sparrow. King, 
These things indeed you have articulate, proclaimed at market and crosses, read in churches, face the garment of rebellion with some fine color that may please the eye of fickle changelings and poor discontents, which gape and rub the elbow at the news of hurly-burly innovation, and yet never did insurrection want such watercolors to impaint his cause, nor moody beggars starving for a time of pell-mell havoc and confusion. Okay, so... Uh, Henry here doesn't respond at all to the charge that uh, uh, what he swore to them uh, when he was looking for their help against the king and that he would not, uh, in fact, take the kingdom. Um, so he just says, oh, you're just you're just making this up and you're 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 blowing it around everywhere. And an interesting, uh, nice words here of hurly burly innovation and pell mell havoc and confusion. In other words, uh, uh, people want a rebellion just because they want confusion and rebellions, Prince. In both your armies, there is many a soul shall pay full dearly for this encounter if once they join in trial. Okay, this foreshadows a little bit um, Henry's, um, who will become Henry V, his speech, uh, or some of the speeches in there about, uh, uh, for example, when the, the Dauphin sends him the tennis balls and um and uh, Henry replies about how many uh, women will be weeping in France for the dead that are coming. And uh, it's, it, I suppose it's commendable in, in how um, that he, he remembers uh, the ordinary people who will, who will die. Many a soul shall pay full dearly for this encounter if once they join in trial. Tell your nephew, the Prince of Wales, has joined with all the world in praise of Harry Percy. By my hopes, this present enterprise set off his head. I do not think a braver gentleman, more active, valiant, or more valiant, young, more daring, or more bold is now alive to grace this latter age with noble deeds. Okay, so uh, Harry um, sends word back to uh, Hotspur that he admires him, and um, that there's no one today more brave, brave or valiant, or valiant, young, daring, bold uh, is now alive. Um, calls it also a latter age, and there was a, a thinking that things were uh, corrupting as time went on. Um, for my part, I may speak it to my shame. I have a truant been to chivalry, and so I hear he doth account me too. Yet this before my father's majesty, I am content that he shall take the, the odds of his great name and estimation and will to save the blood on either side, try fortune with him in a single fight. So uh, Prince Hal uh, challenges Hotspur to a, a trial by combat. Um, somewhat interesting to me that the way this whole hollow crown cycle started uh, was with a challenge of a, of a single combat um, um, with his father involved. And so now he says that he'll do a single combat with Hotspur King. <clears throat> and Prince of Wales, so dare we venture thee, albeit considerations infinite, do make against it. Okay, so... Um, Henry has enough faith in his son where uh, he says, okay, we'll try the whole thing. And I guess he'd have to give up the crown if, uh, if Hal lost to Hotspur. And everyone, everyone's betting on Hotspur in that sort of a combat because like, like uh, uh, Harry said, you know, everyone says that uh, Hotspur is so valiant and brave and everything. And he has been tried in battle and until this point, uh, at least in the plays, uh, Hal has not. No, good Worcester, no. We love our people well, even those we love that are misled upon your cousin's part. And will they take the offer of our grace, both he and they and you? Yea, every man shall be my friend again, and I'll be his. 
So tell your cousin and bring me word what he will do. But if he will not yield, rebuke and dread correction wait on us, and they shall do their office. So be gone. We will not now be troubled with reply. We offer fair. Take it advisedly. Worcester exits with Vernon. Prince, it will be not accepted on my life. The Douglas and the Hotspur both together are confident against the world in arms. King, hence therefore every leader to his charge. For on their answer will we set on them, and God befriend us as our cause is just. I guess you could question whether his cause is really just. And I suppose you could say nobody really has a great cause uh, in this particular conflict. They exit. Prince and Falstaff remain. Hal, if thou see me down in, in the battle and bestri bestride me, so tis a point of friendship. Okay, so Falstaff, I think, is saying to Hal that uh, if, uh, if Falstaff falls and he wants Hal to pick him up. Prince, nothing but a colossus can do they, thee that friendship. Say thy prayers and farewell. So uh, Hal's saying uh, that Falstaff's too fat for anybody to pick him up, but a giant, that's a colossus. Falstaff. I would toward bedtime, Hal, and all well. Prince, why? Thou owest God a death. Okay, uh, rather wise saying there that everyone uh, must die. Okay, here's Falstaff's famous speech on honor. Falstaff. Tis not due yet. I would be loath to pay him before his day. What need I be so forward with him that calls not on me? Well, tis no matter. Honor pricks me on. Yea, but how if honor prick me off when I come on? How then? Can honor set to a leg? No. Or an arm? No. Or take away the grief of a wound? No. Honor hath no skill in surgery then? No. What is honor? A word. What is in that word honor? What is that honor? Air. A trim reckoning. Who hath it? He who died a Wednesday. Doth he feel it? No. Doth he hear it? No. Tis insensible then, yea, to the dead. But will it not live with the living? No. Why? Detraction will not suffer it. Therefore, I'll none of it. Honor is a mere scutcheon, and so ends my catechism. He exits. Okay, so what first um, sort of prompted Falstaff's soliloquy here is Prince's a reminder, and uh, it might be from a catechism, that every man owes God a death. Um, and that could be a little bit of the substitutionary atonement type theory that uh, we all sinned in Adam and therefore we all die and we all, so we all sinned in Adam, we're all guilty and we owe God a death. Um, but Hal picks, um, that's what Hal says, and he exits quickly. And Falstaff first sort of facetiously replies that he doesn't owe, owe God the death yet. Um, and this is somewhat similar to a latter uh, rumination of Falstaff's friends when Falstaff does die. Uh, and they, they're sad for a little while. Uh, and then they remind themselves, hey, but we're going to live. Of course, no one lives forever, but you can delude yourself um, like this. Uh, Falstaff does seem to understand that... Um, he will die, but he doesn't want to pay God his, his life before it's due. He will not pay him before his, his day. Um, and he will not be forward. That's sometimes like in the Bible, forward. But it's, a, it's the idea of being presumptuous. So he's saying he won't be presumptuous at God, that God's not calling him for his death. So why should he offer it up? Um, and this is, well, it's no matter, but honor. 
pricks me on. That is, Falstaff's really not a complete coward. Um, and he realizes this, that, that honor is telling him to be valiant and courageous. Um, and then there's a little play there with honor prick me off when I come on. Um, so I, I think he's saying, well, what if it was an honorable thing to do to run away or something like that? I don't know. I don't know quite where he's going with it. But then he looks at what exactly honor is and what can it do? Um, if your leg or arm are taken off in battle, can honor put it back on? No. Uh, and some rhetorical um, examinations here. And if you're sad or painful wound, um, can it fix that? No, it has no skill in medicine, no skill in surgery. So what is honor? It's only a word. And they put uh, Shakespeare put the word honor in quotations there. Falstaff says that it's air, just a word, a trim reckoning. And who has honor? He who died a Wednesday. Uh, that is the dead who died in battle have honor. But is it any good to them? Do they feel it? Nope. Do they hear it? Nope. It doesn't have any senses. It's not known, can't be, can't be felt, can't even be appreciated by the dead. But will it live on with the living? Now, Falstaff seems to rather quickly sit here say no. Detraction that is taking away will not suffer it. So, um, and we certainly see that in our time uh, with with men, soldiers, whoever that were thought honorable in the past. Our our current culture, in particular, won't won't allow it. Um, and we've always got to be tearing down our heroes and so forth. So, it might be what he's getting at there. And so he says. So uh, Falstaff says he'll have no he'll have no honor, uh, and honor is nothing. And so ends his catechism. He exits. Scene two. Enter Worcester and Sir Richard Vernon. Worcester. Oh no, my nephew must not know Sir Richard, the liberal and kind offer of the king. So uh, the the dramatic device here is that uh, uh, Worcester and Vernon are not going to tell Hotspur about the king's offer of pardon. Vernon, to our best, he did. Worcester. Then are we all undone? It is not possible. It cannot be the king should keep his word in loving us. He will suspect us still and find a time to punish this offense and other faults. Suspicion all our lives shall be stuck full of eyes, for treason is but trusted like the fox, which never so tame, so cherished, and locked up. We'll have a wild trick of his ancestors. Look how we can, or sad, or merrily interpretation will misquote our looks. And we shall feed like oxen at a stall, the better cherished, still the nearer death. Okay, so um, saying that they're they're too old and they're going to be constantly watched, and then the king will just seek occasion and then uh, and then kill him. My nephew's tre trespass may well be forgot. That's Hotspur. It hath the excuse of youth and heat of blood and an adopted name of privilege. A harebrained Hotspur, governed by a spleen. All his offenses live upon my head and on his father's. We did train him on, and his corruption maintained from us. We, as a spring of all, shall pay for all. Therefore, good cousin, let not Harry know in any case the offer of the king. Vernon, deliver what you will, I'll say tis so. Enter Hotspur, Douglas, and their army. Here comes your cousin, Hotspur, to Douglas. My uncle's return, deliver up my lord of Westmoreland. Uncle, what news? Worcester, the king will bid you battle presently. Douglas to Hotspur, defy him by the lord of Westmoreland. Hotspur, Lord Douglas, you go and tell him so. Douglas, marry, and shall, and very willingly. Douglas exits. 
Lister, there is no seeming mercy in the king. Hotspur, did you beg any? God forbid. Uh, Lister, I told him gently of our grievances, of his oath-breaking, which he mended thus by now, for swearing that he has forsworn. Sworn. He calls us rebels, traitors, and will scourge with haughty arms this hateful name in us. Enter Douglas. Arm, gentlemen, to arms, for I have thrown a brave defiance in King Henry's teeth. And Westmoreland, that was engaged, did bear it, which cannot choose, but bring him quickly on. Lister. The Prince of Wales set forth before the king, and nephew challenged you to single fight. Hotspur, oh, would the quarrel laid upon our heads, and that no man might draw short breath today. But I and Harry Monmouth, tell me, tell me, how showed his tasking seemed it in contempt? Uh, no man might draw short breath today, Hotspur said, that is, uh, he'd be killed. Pernan, no, by my soul, by my soul. I never in my life did hear a challenge urge more modestly, unless a brother should a brother dare to gentle exercise and proof of arms. He gave you all the duties of a man, trimmed up your praises with a princely tongue, spoke your deservings like a chronicle, making you ever better than his praise by still dispraising praise valued with you, and which became him like a prince indeed. He made a blushing sittle of himself, and shed his truth and youth with such grace as if he mastered there a double spirit of teaching, and learned instantly. There did he pause, but let me tell the world, if he outlived the envy of this day, England never owes so sweet a hope, so much misconstrued in his wantonness. Okay, so even Henry's enemy here, Vernon, is praising uh, the way the way that Henry, uh, the way that Prince Hal spoke, and that he was very courteous in this challenge to Hotspur, and that it looks like he's uh, he's re he's uh, reformed Hotspur, cousin. I think thou art enamored of his on his follies. Never did I hear of any prince so wild a liberty, but but be he as he will, yet once ere night I will embrace him with a soldier's arm that he shall shrink under my courtesy. Okay, so uh, he's going to kill him, uh, embrace him with a soldier's arm and shrink under his courtesy. Arm, arm with speed and fellow soldiers, friends, better consider what you have to do that I have not well the gift of tongue can lift your blood up with persuasion. Okay, so... Uh, Hotspur doesn't have the ability to uh, to give a stirring speech, which was expected of a commander. Enter a messenger. Messenger, my lord, here are letters for you. Hotspur, I cannot read them now. Oh, gentlemen, the time of life is short. To spend that shortness basely were too long. If life did ride upon a dial's point, still ending at the arrival of an hour. Okay. And if we live, we live to tread on kings. If die, brave death, when princes die with us. Okay, so once again, we have some time image there. Um, if life did ride upon a dial's point, that's on a, a clock's hands and ending at the arrival of an hour. So even if you live only one hour, um, if you draw, you, you know, it'll be worth it uh, to tread on kings. And if you die, brave death, because princes will die with us. Now for our consciences, the arms are fair when the intent of bearing them is just. Okay, and let's end there today before the battle. And so uh, we'll get to the Battle of Shrewsbury next time. And until then, adieu.